Welcome to Innovation Destination, the podcast channel for supply chain industry professionals. This episode is part of our Executive Perspective series, where we will hear from the C-suite of the electronics and manufacturing industry. Here's your host, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Connect, Tyler Fussner. Alex, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. If you could please introduce yourself to our audience. My name is Alex Taves. I'm the Senior Director of a Product Management Group at an organization called Fusion Risk Management. I've been with Fusion in the technology space for a little more than five years at this point and spent you know, a lot of my career prior to joining Fusion and prior to really getting involved in the technology space as a management consultant um, in that part of my career. I spent about 12 years or so. And my focus, although in a couple of different roles at a couple of different organizations, the focus really was on risk management as a as a broad competency. Um, so everything from getting involved with compliance groups, internal audit, enterprise risk, third party risk, operational risk. I really focused my time in a consulting capacity on helping organizations solve problems and figure out how to best tackle and create programs to manage, mitigate, and understand the risks that they're exposed to on an ongoing basis. So, uh, again, spent most of my time really as a as a practitioner and a consultant in this space and made the shift over into the technology area really to start applying everything I learned, the different organizations that I saw struggle, the things that we helped stand up uh, to really let those organizations get their hands around the compliance uh, obligations and mandates and understand everything that goes with it. I really wanted to, to get into the technology space to really build and think about solving those problems in a, a sustainable and digital way, which is really how the world operates today. So that's a little bit about me. And Alex, it sounds like you are the perfect person to speak to on uh, this subject I wanted to bring up today, and that is the situation in the Red Sea. With your perspective and managing risk and, and navigating turmoil, I want to hear your perspective. Can you kind of give me a a brief overview before we we really dive into it on the situation in the Red Sea and the attacks on commercial vessels. Maybe we can just start with what's the significance of of this sea in terms of global trade. Yeah, no, there's uh, obviously a lot happening in that area right now, and obviously that part of the world uh, spanning you know greater than just the sea itself. And I think there's you know geopolitical impacts and events that have really probably exacerbated or at least stressed this environment that much more, but I think to to put our finger on exactly what's happening today, this really situation in the Red Sea reminds me a lot of different kind of vessel type disruptions and supply chain disruptions that happened um, with the Somali pirates, right? Very, very similar. And so to use that as some of the context, really, you know, what's happening in the Red Sea right now, that that specific part of the world, when we think about supply chain and trade routes, it's a massive route of trade, especially for things like oil. And within the strait and the surrounding areas and part of the broader area, right, it's lots of the disruptions that's happening is, is part of conflict that has been brewing and continuing within Yemen and has for a long time. The attacks that are happening in the strait right now, right, it's, it's such a strategic choke point for maritime travel in that part of the world. Um, and again, I reference most specifically oil, which is you know, one of the probably most systemic economic assets that the world relies on in lots of different ways. It really enables and facilitates lots of different goods and other economic assets that the world relies on. And so 
you know, the specific aggressors in this area have targeted ships attempting to really just disrupt the maritime traffic and, you know, really try to exert leverage in their own conflict. You know, some of these attacks have, you know, included, you know, use of missiles, sea mines, boats, both human occupied as well as remote controlled, which is interesting. But there's been really significant, I think, both regional and international impact. I think at its core, just like, you know, a lot of the incidents with the Somali pirates and cargo ships and other trade routes, you know, truly raised concern about the security of maritime travel. And when we think about supply chain, right, getting goods from A to B, and in this case, globally, C, D, and the rest of the alphabet and beyond, about figuring out how to navigate these types of conflicts and most importantly, protect people that are involved in these things. You know, there's obviously broader, you know, humanitarian and geopolitical concerns, but at its core, right, there is some significant geopolitical tension and even broader, right, we think about, you know, what's happening in, in Israel and with Hamas and the Gaza Strip. You know, there's ties between some of those groups as well, and there's been anecdotes that lots of these attacks are actually in support of the Palestinian Islamist group, um, Hamas, or other things happening in the Gaza Strip. So there's been you know, lots of different, you know, forces kind of working together here. And at the end of the day, those in Yemen who are really targeting these ships, you know, they've they've really vowed to target all ships, right, regardless of their nationality. This isn't just U.S. ships. This isn't just European ships. This is really anybody passing through that area. And so they've really warned all these international shipping companies about moving through this area. So it's a very deep-seated context as far as kind of what's going on and the different forces at play here. But at its core, this is a significant disruption in the supply chain and for, again, an economic asset and oil that has a really broad systemic impact when that type of trade flow is disrupted. So hopefully that summarized a bit. There's obviously a lot to get into and happy to uh, to expand on, on any and all, but that's kind of the, the quick summary there. I think there's a, a lot to untangle, right? Like you said, there's just so much that goes into this situation. Now, I certainly am not qualified to speak on the geopolitical or humanitarian impacts that the situation is causing. And I don't mean to minimize the impact that that has on personal safety and the lives of these victims, but I would like to narrow in this conversation on how this impacts trade, how this is going to impact the global supply chain. What have we seen as the immediate ramifications of these attacks? Certainly, anyone that is uh, moving goods and relying on these commercial vehicles to navigate the Red Sea should be anticipating disruptions and delays and certainly some difficulties. How is this going to impact that that trade route? How is this going to impact business in terms of being able to operate and get those goods uh, that yep. typically travel through that sea? Totally agree with you. I, I'm absolutely not the person to opine on, you know, the broader implications, um, albeit tragic on, you know, what's happening here, but the impact on the economy, right? And we think about what's happening from a from a trade route and supply chain perspective, the impacts are very indicative of, you know, other disruptions that have happened um, either in the recent past or further back where you think of, you know, the Evergreen getting stuck in the Suez Canal. Um, again, I you know, reference Somali pirates and other um, disruptions, right? The impacts here are are broad and some of them are felt a little bit more rapidly, but oftentimes this is really a, it's a snowball effect of kind of how this will impact and when it will impact your modern consumer, which is really when attention is paid, right? When when that that level of consumer is feeling the impact of these things. If I can organize and summarize my thoughts around the most significant implications when it comes to this, is you know the disruption of, in this case, the maritime traffic 
is going to very simply disrupt the flow of goods. So this will immediately lead to delays and you know, rerouting of shipments, which um, in that part of the world can take a long time, um, especially when it's you know, secured or being you know, moved by, in this case, you know, maritime traffic. Again, referencing this part of the world and the types of trade routes that flow through here, there's going to be an impact on oil prices, right? Given the volume of oil that actually passes through this region, when you have a disruption of this severity, the uncertainty and the risk that's associated with that, whether it's speculation or actual impact, is going to lead to extreme price volatility. And so we'll, we'll start to see, you know, more and more of that moving forward. When it comes to you know, bottom lines of different organizations trying to either receive or move these goods, there's going to be things like increased shipping costs, right? There's going to be higher insurance premiums, right, due to increased risk and even speculation over future risks, right? So oftentimes when things like this happen, right, we we had hoped or wished we would have planned better to mitigate some of this stuff. But oftentimes when it happens, there's going to be a premium moving forward as organizations try to move goods, at least in the immediate future in this part of the world. And this will you know, incur additional costs and rerouting across a myriad of different organizations. There's going to be very broadly significant supply chain delays, right? When I get back to my point around um, the disruption and, and what that's going to do from a, just getting things from A to B perspective, there's going to be, again, a global supply chain delay. It's going to affect things like manufacturing, right, which rely on things like oil and heavy amounts um, to be able to you know, process their goods or run their manufacturing lines or produce their widgets, whatever it may be. There's going to be significant impact on things like retail and you know, other like sectors that are dependent on things like just-in-time delivery, right, where other organizations are going to be essentially affecting strategies to hedge the cost or the supply of oil to be able to do what they can do. From that perspective, the actual industry impact will likely be a little cascading and those which are, you know, first to receive are going to feel the impacts first and those who are dependent on that next chain. And we think about supply and value chain. It's going to continue to kind of ripple and cascade down that chain. But those impacts, you know, will be felt. I think the last part of this is, and this is more of a silver lining to this type of things when we think about what is the impact. Um, and this is less economic, but definitely global and systemic in nature is that Companies are going to be forced to develop alternative or improved or enhanced supply chain strategies to help mitigate these types of risks. And we can get into some of kind of those strategies and, and typically, you know, what happens as a result of this type of disruption. But, you know, they're going to have to you know, diversify shipping routes and understand things like concentration risk and maintain higher levels of inventory or identify alternate trade routes. Right. There's a number of different things that I think will be employed as a result, which, again, you hope that some of these things were better thought out or planned beforehand, but typically as a response to this, you see organizations um, really start to, to pay attention and focus on what they're doing about really their broader third-party ecosystem, but in this case, those which are more reliant on physical supply chain. You started to touch on exactly what I wanted to ask you. For those businesses and organizations that are feeling the impact and are feeling the pressure of this situation, is it too late to do anything now to mitigate? such instances? I mean, certainly everyone's going to have to go with the rerouting and, and try to find ways to, to get the goods through that were already in route. What can they do today to help mitigate? Or is there anything that they can do today to relieve? Or is this going to be like, okay, we're going to have to get back to the drawing board and reassess uh, our business strategy at a much larger scale? It's a good question. And I think there's probably some truth in the mantra of it's, it's never too late. 
for some organizations, I think, unfortunately, it, it might be too late, right? Depending on the size or scale or ability for certain organizations to kind of weather this type of storm, it may be too late for some of those. But I think more broadly, there are things that can be done, at least in the short term, to mitigate or at least stop the bleeding in a sense. But a lot of what is going to be done is going to be improving kind of the future outlook of these types of events and how they actually disrupt your ability to operate, I think will be a, a large swath of what's being done here. I think as far as what can be done in the short term, and this is less to save your bottom line, but more to just maintain, you know, the the ethics and the efficacy of your of your organization is to make sure that first and foremost, you are protecting your people and protecting your the assets that they in this case are actually driving, right? If you if you're operating these things. You know, organizations have a an obligation and a mandate to protect their employees and make sure that they're not, you know, foregoing their safety to try and, you know, risk a crossing in this part of the world. I think that's, you know, from a almost like an ESG perspective, right? Like they have to be able to make decisions that may not be in the best interest of their business right now, but that are also protecting their people and doing right by their tenants of their organization. So I think first and foremost, that needs to be the most important and first focus for these organizations if they're operating this part of the world. They need to protect their human capital at all costs. I think that's, you know, first and foremost. The next piece will be to diversify and change and figure out either A, right, how can you change your routes and suppliers? Um, is there a way to diversify immediately? Are there different supply routes that you can take, albeit they may be a bit longer, you know, within the same vein of, of protecting, right, your people? That's, you know, an, an obvious kind of first maneuver for lots of organizations. Longer term, right, they'll have to evaluate and think about how they reduce their dependency on, in this case, a single point of failure, right, just using this this one route to be able to to move goods. The longer term piece, right, outside of, you know, being able to you know, identify different routes or different modes of transportation, whether that's air or other, as I said earlier, a lot of the result of this, I think, will be more transformational, which is oftentimes a really good result, as I spoke to earlier, when we think about silver linings, usually some really positive change happens. Some of it's sustained, some of it's shorter term, and organizations, you know, forget and, and kind of move forward without maintaining kind of this enhanced level of, of risk awareness. But for the most part, the organizations that will be around for a long time and continue to right serve their customers and clients, um, the best will be the ones that make the change, sustain that change, and enhance their programs kind of end to end. When I think about the program structure overall of how do you not necessarily avoid, but be able to navigate this disruption in a way where, you know, your customers and clients don't necessarily feel the impact because really at the end of the day, that's the expectation. Your customers and clients don't really care what's happening to you, right? They expect to receive their services or receive their goods or receive their products no matter what, right? They expect you to just be in business. And so the job of these organizations is to understand how they can remain in business and operate, you know, in spite of disruption, kind of that no matter what happens, we need to continue to operate. I think there's some really core parts of a program that will start to change in the very short term. Enhanced monitoring and intelligence around understanding, again, as we spoke to some of the broader, longstanding geopolitical conflict in that world, that's not new. These are things that have been happening either in a sustained nature or triggered by one-off type events, this part of the world has been disrupted for a long time. And so as an organization, if if you haven't really thought or analyzed or assessed risk traveling in that part of the world, you probably didn't have a program to do so. So I think 
having an enhanced monitoring and intelligence capability, leveraging things like technology. If you're not using technology, if you're you know, still in spreadsheets or operating on proprietary tools, it may be time to invest in your tech stack, right, and leverage more real-time monitoring understanding of right, where you may be risk exposed so that you can anticipate and respond to potential disruptions more effectively, right? That's really the core tenant of, you know, regardless of the risk management program, be it operational, third-party, enterprise, is to understand proactively what is the potential impact of something happening in this part of my business. And so you have to be able to have a process and hopefully a digital technology-driven process to understand and analyze those effectively so that you can make the appropriate decisions proactively. I think it's going to lead to a lot of, if organizations haven't done it already, some more flexible logistics and contingency planning strategies, which means alternate modes of transportation, looking at things like contingency plans in place, ensuring that you have practiced or gone through situational role-playing or tabletop exercises to see how you would respond for, regardless of the the event itself being disrupted in a major part of your supply chain, you need to be practicing in tabletopping and exercising and running scenarios as simple as they may be to understand what do you do about that. And that's a huge part of, of planning in that sense. As always with things like these, there's going to be um, broader risk assessment and management changes. They should be conducted to understand very specific threats and their impacts in the way that you do business. And I talk about this this often. Lots of organizations assess risk, but you need to be able to assess risk with very specific risk context. Risk in the context of what? In the way that you conduct this process, in the way that you move your goods in this part of the world, in the way that you operate, and people you have either in A, B, or C locations. You have to really target your business in the unique way that you operate. It's likely the reason why you are either successful or not. Right? You're in your market for a reason. You have customers for reasons because you do something different. There's some differentiator. You need to be able to assess risk specific to the way that you operate, not just the way that everybody operates or assess risk broadly. It has to be set in context. When you set it in context, either focused on the way that you operate in a certain part of the world, the way that you move goods, the speed at which you move those, the modes of transportation that you leverage. When you assess risk specific to the way that you do business, that's really when you can actually manage risk the most effectively and make the decisions that are in your best interest and align to the way that you operate. This will also play into, you know, very simply, inventory management strategies, collaborating closely with other suppliers, other logistics providers, really any other partners in your industry or space to help both in some way manage and buffer inventory and kind of share goods and services to either help one another out or to just broadly adopt strategies like holding safety stock, which isn't always, you know, the brightest play, but it's a way to mitigate this type of impact, right? To either stockpile in this case, oil reserves, or to source them in different parts of the world. I think inventory management strategies, as always, will be an immediate assessment for these organizations. And I think the last couple, there's Risk strategies that involve leveraging insurance and financial instruments, obviously, from a um, a market perspective, there are entire organizations dedicated to protecting your bottom line in the sense of either writing or understanding options and futures and hedging oil and hedging these commodities in a way that allows you to recoup financial loss in the event that something like this does happen so that from a bottom line perspective, you're not completely hamstrung. And that type of approach especially from a a financial instrument perspective, can help, again, cover your financial losses and hedge against those risks. There's also, you know, insurance instruments that you can can purchase against these as well, thinking of broader investment vehicles. So 
that's more of a financial protection rather than an operational protection, but is very common in the sense of reassessing how these companies can hedge against the commodities in which they operate. Finally, there's going to be and should be lots of training and awareness around these types of things, ensuring that your staff are trained, aware, understand the potential risks, and also understand the measures that you may or may not have in place to address them, right? That's the really crucial part of it is not just making your employees aware, but also understanding and educating them on the things that you have in place to help mitigate those. So without belaboring the the myriad of things that organizations should be doing, I think those are probably the most critical. Alex, I think you said it perfectly when you said that shifting into that transformational mindset could be such a benefit. You can maybe even reach that silver lining. Part of that would be integrating those digital technologies and those, those tools to help you manage that risk and monitor that risk. I'm curious what exactly that process looks like, right? Because it's hard to execute on uh, bringing in a new technology. But say you are integrating such tools, and let's use the the example of the geological concentration risk that we have been discussing. What does it look like? What exactly am I measuring? What are my benchmarks, and how does this technology help me navigate and monitor that risk? The silver lining of lots of these things, we can you know reference you know non supply chain events, things like COVID, right? It's very relevant to to everybody. These types of disruptions and events are from a legacy perspective, often referred to as black swan events, right? These really, really high impact, very, very low likelihood types of of risk events or scenarios that I think in the the modern age are happening more and more often. And I think the term black swan is almost no longer relevant, right? Because it's the interconnectedness of really the world, and in this case, the global supply chain and the things that can affect it. The more incredible that the world becomes in its connectedness, the more fragile it becomes as well, because it's everything has this tendril, ripple, domino type effect. And so these types of disruptions, again, the silver lining there is it does typically lead to digital transformation for organizations that are willing to undertake that journey, because it is it is an absolute journey. Again, disruption typically happens to be the biggest catalyst for that, because how you manage both in a reaction stance, as well as how do you manage proactively your understanding of impact can be really the deciding factor between whether you stay in business and exist or not. It's incredibly common now for organizations to just come and go because they're just, they're not willing to transform and disrupt themselves and enable the transformation that is really necessary to be able to to survive. So when we think about Digital transformation broadly, especially in terms of, of what's happening um, in this part of the world, is there's a necessity to be able to adapt and change and understand technology, even when, and this is a great example in kind of this, if we think of oil and that industry generally, as a pretty non-tech driven industry, at least historically. Most organizations, even if you think you aren't, should be approached as a technology company. You know, I think there's there's been several anecdotes where you look at, you know, your large financial services organizations and banks. Those are technology companies first at this point in time because they have to be. Um, You have to adopt at least some perspective, if not invest in what your digital strategy is and go beyond that understanding or having opinion on it and actually employ that transformation. Because it's the only thing that's going to allow you to both, A, work with speed and be able to work with agility and scale to be successful in whatever market you're operating in, but also 
it's the only way that you can understand the potential impact of risk in as real time as possible, because that's really the, the lens that needs to be built in order to, to be proactive at all, right? If, if you're using information or intelligence or understanding things um, in reaction to them having already happened, you're already so far behind that that impact and understanding of it is is pretty far gone at that point for you as an organization. So the only way to to get ahead of some of these things or at least understand what could happen is to leverage technology and to adopt a digital strategy that aligns with both your business and your appetite for risk. And again, these types of disruptions typically for the organizations that will flourish, they adopt that perspective and lens very, very quickly. So that's, again, the positive and the silver lining piece of that. So in line with, you know, the digital transformation piece, I think the next piece of this is how does it, how does it apply directly to the organizations that are being disrupted by, by this event in and of itself? And this, this gets into the general supply chain competency, right? That is maybe even more broadly defined within a third party risk realm. You know, from a technology lens and within my role, when we often think about ideating or you know, designing new capabilities or new solutions, the first thing that I typically whiteboard or at least work with my team on understanding is what is the problem that the customer or from a technology perspective, the user is trying to solve, right? What is the end goal or what is the end game or the question that they need answered, the type of data or information they need to right, avoid or mitigate or significant impact for something like this? And it gets into what are those metrics? What is the data? What is the intelligence? If I'm you know, using a platform when I log in, what does that dashboard tell me if I'm a C-suite executive that has 30 seconds to look at this thing before I move on? You need to know the right things at the right time. And so data, intelligence, and metrics are absolutely critical. For supply chain specifically, it gets into how visible is your supply chain, right? How much visible intelligence do I have depending on how global I operate, right? So how can I track and monitor the way my supply chain operates, including activities, logistics, partners, everything therein to understand exactly where I may be impacted. And with that visibility comes the supporting data to, to give you that visibility. And again, that can really only be maintained with a digital approach. You know, very simply, there's ways to, even absent some digital applications or tools or technology, is you have to have a way to to risk assess your supply chain, to evaluate the risk associated with each supplier, considering the factors that you know, motivate that risk, like their financial stability, in this case, geopolitical risks, compliance with standards, right? The list goes on. You have to understand for your suppliers, or if you are the supplier, how those different categories of risk impact the way that you do business. There's lots of different metrics that can be leveraged to kind of understand some of the finer detail there. There's metrics like you know, lead time variability, so that measures and monitors the consistency or the variability in lead times from suppliers or as a supplier to your customers. That directly impacts, you know, thinking about our accounting perspective, right, your inventory levels, order fulfillment. Your lead time variability is key, and it shows you how volatile is our, are our operations when it comes to moving goods. To that same point, I referenced inventory levels, right? What are our inventory levels? What is our turnover? You know, are you tracking your inventory to assess if there's shortages or excesses, absent of disruption, right? If you're already, if you already have a lot of volatility with your lead time and volatility and shortages and excesses or anything therein, that's going to indicate significant supply chain inefficiencies and vulnerabilities and therefore, you know, exacerbate your exposure if there is, in this case, a disruption if you operate in this part of the world. 
A couple others that, that kind of come to mind, concentration risk. How do we source, right, our widgets or goods or our raw materials? Where do we move them through? Are there alternate routes? Do we just happen to focus and source our materials in a really unstable part of the world? Concentration risk, when you think of globally, if I were to look at a globe and see where I operate and where I source things, you need to understand exactly what that concentration looks like. And for you, you need to understand that if you are incredibly concentrated, either in your sourcing, your shipping, or your supplying, you're incredibly vulnerable if that part of the world is disrupted, because that's really the only place that you operate and the place that you really support your organization. So concentration risk is is absolutely key. And understanding, again, where you operate, where you move things, and how you move them is, is critical to that. A couple others that really come to mind is things like time to recover. Um, and that's a pretty broad metric, but it can be supported by lots of kind of underlying data and metrics. It's really what is the time that it takes for my supply chain to return to normal. And so competencies like business continuity, that could be recovery time objective with either people, places, or technology that support the delivery of goods. But you have to understand when I'm hit, how quickly does it take me to get up? And I referenced tabletops, exercises, scenarios. A really good way to understand that is to practice it and to simulate what your reaction would be and how long it takes you to get back to a at least somewhat normal operating capacity or at least maintain some homeostasis in that sense. The other really prevalent metric here when I think again about that dashboard and what I'm seeing is looking at your incident frequency and the impact of that. Do you not only just understand when you've been impacted by a risk event or an incident, but are you doing root cause analysis? Are you retroactively looking to see what you can improve to mitigate something similar in the future or to enhance or improve your processes or the controls you have in place, being able to not just react and recover from an event, but learn, adapt, and really evolve from it is absolutely critical. And so understanding the frequency of these types of events as they may or may not have impacted you is is critical to, I think, this entire journey and where you're headed and why you're headed in a certain direction, right? Understand the why, the root cause, the what can we do better, and spend the time absent of the disruption preparing for the next one. These types of metrics, I think, when they're monitored regularly, they can provide incredibly invaluable insight into not only the risk, but the health of your supply chain and allow you to really just make a more enabled decision-making. Again, manage that risk as proactively as possible, and you can really only do that if you have the data, you understand the data, and you action it, you do something about it. I think the future is certainly digital, right, Alex? I think everything you've been touching on right now shows the importance of being able to be plugged in and accessing that visibility. That That is like step one. And if For sure. organizational leaders haven't had their eyes open from these uh, black swan events like you had mentioned, uh, like COVID, the attacks in the Red Sea, you're not going to be able to navigate such instances if you don't have that data visibility. And you summed it up perfectly with saying, you know, once you get that data, it only does so much, but you do have to make it actionable. Yep. Use it, leverage it, and then you can make your way through these seismic events. For sure. Yep. Alex, thank you again for taking the time to join us today and sharing your perspective and expertise. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I really uh, appreciated the time today, Tyler. Obviously, there's a there's a lot to cover, I think, when it comes to you know the supply chain, disruption, and everything therein, but uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovation Destination. Follow us online at supplychainconnect.com 
or find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest supply chain industry news. Do you have any questions or is there a topic you would like us to cover in a future episode? Please contact us at editors at supplychainconnect.com. That's E-D-I-T-O-R-S at supplychainconnect.com.